Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. I want to start off, though, with a quick story because if you're not married, I want to give you a warning, but if you are, you can connect with me in my pain, and that is this. When I got married to Brad about, oh, almost 19 years ago, there was an undisclosed condition that he forgot to mention, and yes, it's not medical, so don't worry, but shortly after we got married, I discovered that he had a condition that we now in our family call bag I don't know if you've ever met anyone like this, but Brad is obsessive about bags. He, messenger bags, backpacks, whatever the hobby, there is a bag for that hobby. And he is going to find that bag, buy that bag, fill that bag. I remember we went on a trip once to um, Walt Disney World with a bunch of people in Florida. It's like a million degrees outside and he had a backpack with 11 books in it, just in case. Like, you know, you never know when you're at Disney World if you want to read one of 11 books. So this is my husband, okay? And not only does he have the bag, he wants to fill it with anything and everything you might need. It must be like the Boy Scout in him, but he wants to be ready in every situation, which at times is just annoying. I don't know I'm just being honest. In fact, last week we were in California and he was there for 48 hours and he had four bags. One with snacks, one, like all of these bags and we're driving home and I'm like rolling my eyes because there's no room in the trunk for all of his bags. And uh, then as we're traveling back, something unexpected happened. We got stuck on the I-10, they shut down the whole freeway and we sat there for four hours in one spot. We didn't move. And guess who had everything we needed? <laughs> yes, he did. He was the hero, and we told him he had snack. I mean, whatever it is he needed, he had extra battery charge. I mean, we were set and good to go. So the lesson learned is celebrate your differences because you never know when they're going to come back to be a blessing and you're going to have to eat crow. So, but here's the thing. Whether we realize it or not, we are on a journey at all times. And if we're not careful, we can live and kind of get in this mindset where we're just reactionary to the life around us. Things happen, we find ourselves in situations, and we're just reacting to it. But the truth is that God has called every single one of us as followers of Jesus to live not a haphazard life, but a purposeful one. It is a life of purpose. Following Jesus is meant to be a life of purpose. And all throughout scripture, the word that we see a lot of times when it comes to following Jesus in the path is this picture of a race. You see it all throughout the New Testament, a race, running your race. Paul talks about finishing his race, fighting the good fight. And that is what we're called to be in, is a race. And the race is not meant to be one where here or there, it's meant to be one of purpose. And for about two years, two years consecutively in a row, God has had me just planted in this idea of being in a race and studying and learning and growing and memorizing scripture about my race. And what I've come to know is that a race is consistently and completely about growth. It's not, our salvation, our um, coming to know Jesus experience is not the finish line. That's not the end of our race. That's actually the starting line. It's the starting line. And we are headed towards a purpose and a call that when we say yes to Jesus, he says, okay, let's go on your race. 
And so I've been studying this, and as, as it comes up again and again, I'm like, God, can we move on to something new? He's like, no, we're going to still talk about the race. So you get to also hear about the race today, okay? And it's funny because when you think about um, growth, the only thing constant in growth is change. Every time God stretches you and moves you and you think, gosh, that was hard, but thanks, God. I feel great now. Let's just sit down and rest. And he's like, nope, it's time to go again. He moves us from level to level because a race is a consistent, consistent move, consistent change, consistent growth. We never stay where we are. And as long as you and I have breath in our lungs, our race isn't finished. And so I believe that today, as we speak, and as I've been talking with people, there is a season happening, and as we talk about growth there is, and change, there's two things we need to know, transitions and transformations. And as I talk to people within our community, I can't tell you how many people would say, yeah, you know what, I'm actually in the season of transition. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's moving, maybe it's a relation, whatever it is. If you're in a season of transition right now, would you just raise your hand? Look at around the room. And maybe you're not in one now, but maybe you have that sense that something is on the horizon. Have you ever felt that? Like change is coming. Well, a life following Jesus, a race, the race he's called us to, is always going to involve transitions and transformations. And in transitions, here's what we know. The things around us begin to change. In transition, the things around us change. And we sense it. We know things are moving but in transformation, what's within us begins to change. God is at work within us. In transformation, God is at work around us. In transformation, God is at work within us. Transition around us, transformation within us. And if we're not careful, sometimes when we sense that shifting and moving and, and it's coming and we know it's on the horizon, we can begin to think that something around us needs to change when God is actually trying to do a work within us. But regardless of whether he's moving things around us or moving things within us, one thing is constant. He's always taking us from glory to glory. We cannot stay where we are. Following Jesus is a life of transition and transformation. And if you're not in one today, wait about 10 minutes because he's going to be moving and shifting things around you or within you. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. We cannot stay where we are when we're called into a race. And the thing that we must know more than anything is that when God is at work around us and he's at work within us, it is always because he wants to do something through us. When God is at work around us and within us, it's because he's moving us to work through us. Hebrews 11, if we rewind the verse we just read, it talks all about the heroes of faith throughout Scripture. And it talks about the people who, you know, Samson and Gideon and all these people who did mighty deeds for God. But before they stepped into those seasons, we saw transition and transformation happen in their lives. So what we must know, because transition and change is uncomfortable, I don't like it, I, I want to just, you know, follow Jesus, sit down and let the angels come and bring me like strawberries by the pool, like that would be awesome. But that's not what following Jesus is about. 
It's a continual shift, continual change, continual leveling up because he's always longing to do more through us for the expansion of his kingdom. In Hebrews 11, as it talks about these people, listen to this in verse 32. These people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouth of lions, quenched their flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned into strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. God is at work within us and around us because he wants to be working through us. So whether we're right in the middle of change or that's on the horizon, we need to know how to navigate transition. We need to know how to navigate. When we think about the children of Israel as they wandered through Egypt for 40 years, do you know that journey was only supposed to take 11 days? And I wonder if they allowed God to do the work in them and around them, did it have to take 40 years? I don't know. But I know in our own lives as God wants to transition us and work through us and transform us, If we surrender to his process and we allow him to do the work and we navigate these seasons of transition and transformation well, then I believe we'll see quicker and more more quickly God do the work through us that he longs to do. So we're going to jump in and dive into the story in the book of Judges chapter 6. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there. I'm going to give you a flyover of the story because it's, it spans over two, three chapters. And so I'm going to give you a flyover. This week, your homework, write it down. Do you have your pen? Oh. <laughs> write it down. We are going to read all three chapters. And I want you to dive in deeply. But right now, I'm just going to give you a brief overview. We have the children of Israel. And they are being oppressed by the Midianites. What happened is they left the, you know, Moses' law. They weren't following God's practices. They're in the promised land, but they're not doing what they know they're to do. And they have fallen prey to being oppressed by the Midianites for seven years. And every single year they work hard, they grow their crops, and then the Midianites move in. They steal all their food. They take all their harvest. And they really just essentially bully them. So this is where they are in this state of being bullied. And finally, after seven years, they decide... I don't like this very much. I don't know if you've ever been in a cycle where it took you a long time to decide, I don't like this very much, but they did. And so they cried out to God and they said, rescue us, Lord. And he said, okay, I'm going to send you a redeemer. And he goes to the most unlikely of places and he finds this young man threshing wheat in the wine press. And and he calls Gideon, who's hiding there in fear, coward, just like hiding out from the Midianites. And he says, I'm going to take you. I'm going to let you lead the resistance. You guys are going to come. You're going to overtake the Midianites, and I'm going to conquer them with you. And Gideon's like, what are you talking about? So this is what happens. Gideon and God go back and forth until he's finally like, okay, he's a reluctant hero. He heads out. The first order of businesses, he set everything right in Israel. He gets rid of the pagan gods. He helps them stop worshiping Baal. He reestablishes God's plan and purposes in Israel. Are you with me? Because I'm going quick. Okay. He reestablishes God's purposes in Israel, and then he calls an army together. Thousands of people come. They're going to go against the Midianites. They're going to conquer them. And God says, you have too many people. So then he whittles down the army to only 300 people, and they go in with a battle plan that seems absolutely ridiculous, but God's plans even though they seem ridiculous, often they are the, always, they are the best plan to follow. So he does this, they conquer the Midianites, they chase out the enemy kings and princes, Um, Gideon is chasing them down, like viciously wreaking havoc on them, he conquers them, he kills them, Israel's like, amazing, you should be our king, and then Gideon says, no, God should be your king, he should be our king. So that's kind of the overview, okay? Are you with me? 
Yes, some of you are still here. That's good. That's good. But there are three things as we read through the story that I really want us to, now, to look at and observe and take away because God took Gideon from this cowardly, scared little man hiding, being bullied, to a conquering leader that they wanted to make king. That is transition and that is transformation. That is something that took place in his life that you could markedly see from beginning to end he became what really God called him to be. How can we do that? Well, here's the thing we need to know. The first thing is we must say yes to the journey. We have to say yes to the journey, and the journey is essentially God's process. We find Gideon in the wine press hiding out, and God comes up and he says, hey, Gideon, I'm going to invite you into a process. And he says this in Judges 6. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, verse 11, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all those miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and he's handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So many times we look at our current reality, where we are right now, and we think this is all there is. Like right now, my reality, this is how it's going to be forever. Whatever that situation is, whatever the wine presses of our lives look like, it's really easy to look at them and think, this, this is my life. This is my destiny right here. And not see past it. But in transition and in transformation, God shows up in those spaces of our lives. And he reminds us the same thing that he reminds Gideon, that he is writing a story with our lives. He's writing a story. Just like we read in Hebrews 12, he's the author. And what does that mean? That means we don't get to choose the title of our story. Sometimes we'd like to give God some suggestions, like this is what I would like it to look like. But we don't get to choose the title. And the other thing that we don't get to choose is we don't get to choose the outcome. That's God's. He gets to choose what happens. But what we do get to do is we get to surrender to the process. We get to, to surrender to his process. And as soon as we accept that God has invited us into a journey of transition and process and transformation, boom, it begins and God can begin. We invite him to do the work in us. We surrender to the process. But oftentimes we have no idea what he's going to do with it and it seems scary to invite him in and give him access. And oftentimes it doesn't make sense. But as we do that, we allow him to do the work that, he's called, that he desires to do within us. And sometimes it's deeper and bigger and more than we ever really dreamed possible. I love what C.S. Lewis, it's my favorite quote of his, it says this. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. And at first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised but presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably, abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building a quite different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. 
You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace, and he intends to come and live it in it himself. God's transitions and transformation in our lives are to completely give him access to make you and I the fullest version of ourselves. Our salvation is the starting line, and the finish line is you and I stepping into the youiest version of ourselves that is ever possible. And yes, I just invented a word, youiest. Youiest. What does that mean? I'm going to give you my own definition, but God's process will transform you into the youiest version of you. And this is what youiest means, where your gifts, your skills, your passion, your experience, your personality merge together and conform to the image of Christ and fulfill God's purpose for your life. That is you to the maximum. Just like for right now, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine you at your absolute best, like the most maximum, maxed out version of you. What does that look like? No one's closing their eyes. You guys are not very obedient this morning. What does that look like? That is what he's calling us to, the most um, full version of ourselves possible. And Paul understood God's processes probably more than anyone because he found him. God came to him in the middle of one path that he was following. And he wasn't just like haphazardly walking down this path. He was racing down the path. And he knew his purpose. His purpose was to persecute those who believed in Jesus, uphold the traditions that he knew. He wasn't open to who Jesus was. He wasn't open to him being the Messiah or the Lord. And God met him on his path and he said, hey, I've got a different path for you. I've got a different plan for you. It's not going to make sense because it doesn't go with any, but I'm going to take everything you've learned, all the history that you have, all the things that you walked through, and I'm going to use that to do something in my church and expand my kingdom in the way no one else can. He could have looked at Peter and been like, well, Peter, he walked with Jesus. He he saw those miracles. John did this. What what do I have to offer? And God said, no, I'm going to take every piece of what you've walked and I'm going to use it to make you the ultimate version of you. Philippians 3.12, Paul says this, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking toward what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. The sooner you and I step into the process and say yes, the sooner we step into the fullest version of ourselves. And I want you, you have that picture of you at your ultimate ultimate self. But here's what happens. As long as we stay in the wine presses of our lives, as we stay there where it's comfortable and it's safe and we don't step into the process of transition and transformation that God invites us to, let's say that version of you is 10 years away, five years away, two years away. Whatever that version is, time passes by and that version of you stays at the same distance until you and I surrender to the process. And when we surrender, God says, great, you've given me access. Now I can begin to do the work that I've been waiting to do in your life and you will begin to see transformation that you've been praying for, seeking God for, frustrated about. You begin to see God move in that way. So we first have to accept 
the journey. We have to say yes, and we have to step out of the wine presses of our lives and into the process that God invites us to. So I want you to take a moment and just jot down on your notes or maybe reflect in your heart, where in, our, in your life are you stuck in the wine press? Where are you stuck? And just take a moment to jot it down. Because we've got to say yes to the journey and accept the process that God invites us into. Accept transition, accept change, accept transformation. And that's not always easy, but it's the first step. The second thing we have to do after we accept the journey is we have to pack our bag. So pack your bag. My husband took my son on a 25-mile hike a couple months ago, and they went down to Havasupai Falls. It was beautiful, but they spent months researching what they would pack because they had to carry everything down with them, their water, their food, all of these things. But when it came down to it, the weather got so cold, it was like going to be 16, 20 degrees. All of a sudden, everything they had planned and packed for was irrelevant. So the day before they left, they called a friend who had just been there, and they asked him, hey, what do, what do we actually need? Because we're going to be going, you know the weather, you were just there. And he was able to lay out for them exactly what they needed. Here's the thing. Our vantage point is so limited. It's so limited. But Isaiah 55 tells us that our thoughts and our ways are not like God's. His are higher. His perspective, his vantage point sees out ahead. He knows the weather. He knows what's coming. He knows your past. He has a full-scale picture. And why wouldn't we consult him when it comes to packing our bag for the journey ahead? So as he took Gideon on this journey of transformation, on this journey of transition, there are three things I see in Gideon's bag that I know you and I need in our bag. And the first one is this, it's identity. When God meets Gideon in the wine press and he calls him a mighty hero, Gideon's like, you're crazy. Like I, he, he says, I am the weakest in my clan. I am not, like, my clan is the weakest. I'm the weakest. God, you have no idea what you're talking about. And God says, hold on. Yes, I do. You're a mighty hero, and I'm going to be with you. Gideon stops him, and he's like, hold on, hold on. Just stay right here, because I don't believe what you're saying. I don't even know if this is God. Like, I might have just had bad pizza last night. So he says in Judges 6, 17, he says, Gideon answered, and he said, if I found favor in your sight, please give me a sign that this is you, God. Like, are, is this actually God calling me a mighty hero? Or is it just my thoughts? Or is it just happenstance? Because he knew if this identity that God was asking him to step in was real, he had to own it and he had to believe it. So he goes out, he brings back a meal to the angel. The angel like causes a rock to burn it up and fire comes. And he's like, oh, this is it. Yes. But then a couple verses later, he's like, are you sure, God? I'm not sure. He, he struggles with getting this identity. And what we need to know is that our identity in Christ is absolutely secure because of Jesus. But what we believe about our identity must be contended for. And Gideon had to contend because he struggled when I think about Moses and Abraham, I'm like, they got it pretty quick. Like, God came to him, burning bush, and they're like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this. Oh, great, I'm going to go do it. But Gideon is like, takes a couple steps forward, and he's like, are you sure? Like, a mighty hero? Come on. And he's like, just do this one miracle. God does the miracle, and he has to do another one a few verses later because Gideon had to contend and struggle for his identity. And that's the same with you and I. That gives me hope. 
If he could contend and struggle through the, the thoughts and, and the things that he wrestled with, are you sure? Because I'm weak. That's all I've ever known is I'm a weak person in this weak clan, and I am not a mighty hero. I don't see it. I don't feel it. It doesn't look like it. And God says, you are a mighty hero. Do you need me to confirm it to you again? He confirms it to him again. Our identity has to be secure as God calls us out into the things he wants to do in our lives. Because there's going to be rough weather. There's going to be times that you question, what on earth am I doing, God? What are you doing? And we have to be secure in our identity. Because we will consistently behave in congruence with what we believe about ourselves. We will consistently behave. We may have a, a, a good day or two, you know, if you believe this is how I am, this is how I've always been. You might have a day or two where you're able to step out of this environment and do something really great, but you will consistently behave in congruence with what you believe about yourself. So it is essential that you and I discover everything God says about us in this book, the identity that Jesus gave his life for, we have to contend for it. Gideon had to, we have to. We cannot walk through transition and transformation without it. We must contend for identity. The second thing we have to do is have the right habits. Anytime transition and change comes, the, the weather, the scenery, what's in us, all of these things might change. What's going to carry us from season to season through God's process is the habits that are anchors in our lives. And Gideon had two that I think are essential to us. And the first one was he prioritized the word of God. Think about this. Israel is like off doing their own thing. They're worshiping Baal. They're setting up idols. They're doing all these things. And as soon as God calls Gideon into this process, he's like, listen, I got to change things up. We have been on the wrong path. I have to go back to what God's word says. I have to go back. So he comes in, he makes big changes, and he puts God's word, he puts the law of Moses back into place in his life and in Israel's life. And God's word is the only anchor that will carry us through every season in life. Because we will change, our emotions will change, our feelings will change, but the anchor of God's word will never change. So we have to hold on in every season as the weather changes, as God begins to move in our hearts, we have to place priority on the habit of putting his word first in our lives. The second thing that Gideon did is he prioritized the voice of God in his life. As you read this passage for your homework, remember, that's your homework, you're going to see all throughout it, the Lord said, the Lord said to Gideon, Gideon asked the Lord, the Lord said, his voice, God's voice in his life was of utmost priority. Gideon knew I'm walking through territory that I actually am unqualified for. The only way I'm qualified is because he said he'd go with me. So I got to get his opinion. I have to get his voice. I have to know what he says, because if I'm going to walk into what he's called me to do, my life is on the line. The nation's life is on the line. I need him to speak. And we have a speaking God. And he desires to speak into every situation of our lives. And we must give that voice priority. And how do we do that practically? Well, number one, you have to remember his voice will never go beyond his word. It will always line up with his word. But we have to give him space to speak into our lives. I have a journal that I entitle, What Do I Need to Know Today Journal. And that journal I take every single day, five minutes, two minutes, however much time I have, and I write out any thoughts and anything I'm wrestling, what does my day look like? And then I write these words every single time. God, what do I need to know today? Question mark. And then I give him space. Whatever comes to my heart, maybe it's a scripture, maybe it's something I'm sensing him say, I write it out and I hold on to it because 
Days get crazy, time gets crazy, and it is so helpful to look back and go, but remember what God promised to you on this day. Remember what he spoke into your situation. Remember the hope that you felt when he came to that wine press in your life and he said, you're a mighty hero. We have to prioritize his voice in our life. And the third habit, and really quickly, I just want to touch on this, and it's, it's probably maybe a weird one to some of you, but this is the word I got, and it's the word grit. Like, how bad do you want it? How bad do you actually want to see God's plans and purposes in your life? Are you okay with staying here in your wine breast? Maybe that's working for you. But how bad do we want to see God's process at work in our lives? Because it's going to take endurance, like Paul said. We're going to have to run through some, some, some scenery that seems hard, some challenges that seem like rough road. And as we do, what is going to carry us? And that is the determination to want it so bad that you're willing to press through. When Gideon was on the run chasing after the Midianites, they were out of food. They were out of water. He kept trying to get it, and no one would give it to them, but they had to press on. There's a grit factor that comes into play. You know, um, West Point Military Academy did a study of 1,200 cadets, and, and they take these, these young people and they bring them in and they put them through this grueling process to send them into our military as leaders, and, and they, they would score them on these, these levels of intelligence and physical fitness and all of these criteria, and then they would assign them a score for something that they called the grit factor. And that was just like the drive, like they want this more than someone else. And the single determining factor for the success of they, what they found was, was the grit factor. Though it didn't matter their education, their physical fitness, those who were determined in their heart to say, no matter what, I'm not leaving, I'm getting through, I'm pushing through. It doesn't matter what comes, it doesn't matter the challenges. I have it, I want it, how bad do I want it? That grit, Jesus had that. Think about this, as he's about to go to the cross and he's in the garden and he's praying and he's like thinking, gosh, I am about to undergo the worst torture. Not only that, physically, the, the, the weight of the world's sin will be placed upon my shoulders and the Father God is going to turn his back on me. The pressure, I can't even begin to fathom it. And as he's sitting there, he's like, God, is there another way? Like, is there a way out? There's going to be times in our journey that we're going to say, God, is there a way out of this? Because this is hard. Like, are you crushing me right now? (laughs) I don't know if you've ever felt that. Maybe it's just me. And Jesus prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There's grit that rises up on on the inside of each one of us when we are so determined to see what God has for us, to see the end of that race, to be like Paul and say, I've fought the good fight, I've won the race. So we have to have that in our bag if we're going to continue and have the sustenance for our journey. We have to have, those are just three of the things. There's tons more. What kills grit? Here's this. Nothing kills grit faster, and it's in your notes, than considering ourselves, consulting our past, and comparing ourselves to others. There's no time for that. As we're running after what God has for us, we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So we've got to pack our bag. And the third thing we have to do is we have to unpack our bag, which may seem counterintuitive. But at the start of this year, as God's been continually talking to me about my race, he said, listen, 
You've been running and you, you're going and your, your pace has increased, your capacity has increased, but there are things that you are carrying in that bag with you on the journey that you do not need in this next season. And so if we'll surrender to his process, if we'll pack our bag, we also have to invite him to say, God, what do I need and what don't I need? There's going to be ways of thinking, ways that you've operated, ways you've always done things that you're going to have to let go if you're going to step into the new season that God has for you. If you're going to step into the new level that he's calling you to, you cannot hold on to the ways of thinking, the ways of believing, the mindsets that you've had in the past. New season, new thinking. Gideon had to let go of the idea that he was a weak clan member. He had no, nothing really to offer. He's, he's threshing wheat. Wheat is meant to be threshed out in the open. He is hiding like a coward. Imagine the struggle he had to do to let go of that mindset. But he couldn't take that mindset and become a mighty hero. It wouldn't serve him. And there are things that you and I hold on to that we're going to have to let go and leave behind if we want to see everything God's called us to do. And it won't always make sense. But here's the thing. We don't know what's ahead. We don't know the weather. We don't know what he's calling us to. But guess what causes us to overpack every time? If you've ever been on vacation and you've overpacked, you know this. Fear. But what if it rains? I might need this umbrella. It doesn't matter that I'm going to the Sahara Desert. I still might need an umbrella. I might need this. I might need that. Why? Because we get afraid. Because we don't know what's ahead. And the unknown is scary. And we want to control it as much as possible. So we load ourselves down with all these things that we think we need. And God says, I need to unpack that because you're not going to be able to make this climb with that in your bag. So we have to let him unpack our bag. And it's not always going to make sense. For Gideon... Guess what? God said, hey, I know you think you're going into this battle with thousands of men, but you've got way too many. I'm going to need to pare down that army. And he's like, what? Judges 7, 7, the Lord said to Gideon, with these 300 men who lapped the water, I will save you and deliver the Midianites in your hands. But all these others, they got to go. He was like feeling really good about this army that he assembled. And God's like, no, but too many. I know it doesn't make sense, but you just, you just need this many people. Matthew 6, 8, Jesus said, don't be like them for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. How about we let God pack our bags? And how, come, how about we let him unpack our bags? Are there things that you are carrying right now in this season that God is asking you to lay down? Pain, a story that you just keep repeating over and over again. Is it time to let that go? Does it line up with the identity that Jesus has called you to? New seasons and new thinking. If we're going to head to our destination, we have to understand that it is all about submitting to his process. Not someone else's process, his process for you. I think it's really easy for us to look at the destination and go, okay, I'm headed towards this. Well, they're headed towards this, so I can just... Hey, they, they did that. Well, Gideon can be like, on Instagram, I saw this guy win a battle and he had only 300. No, it's not, the, it's not the details of the process. It's the surrender to God's process. It's the trust that it requires that that's what he's calling you to do. We, ha- we can't look at the destination. We have to look at Jesus. Look to Jesus, not your destination. Because the gap between your current reality, where you are right now, 
and your fulfilled destiny doesn't begin until you and I enter into God's process. We have to say yes to the process. We have to pack our bags with everything that we need. And then we have to let go and lay down the things that we don't need. But the secret is the ultimate trust in God's plan. The trust in his process. The trust that he's leading. He's at the helm of our lives and we are not. My favorite scripture in this entire passage comes at the very end in Judges chapter 8. And here Gideon, he's on the run. He's already conquered the Midianites. And now he's after the kings and princes of those enemy territory. And he is chasing them down, ready to take them out. And as he closes in on them, he has this conversation with them. And, and he's interrogating them, really, because he's about to kill them. Judges 8.18 says this. Next, Gideon asked Ziba and Zalmunna, what kind of men did you kill at Tabor? And here he is, he's like interrogating them about something they had done. And I just imagine this like Jack Bauer moment where they, he is just like, what did you do with them? Like, what did they look like? And they said this, and they're, I'm sure they're quivering because they know they're about to die. Their army's been defeated. They are just at the end of the rope. And they said this, they were men like you, they answered, each one resembling the son of a king. And I don't know why that just struck me so much because I flash back to scene one of Gideon just hiding in fear, weak, emaciated, totally just not a hero at all. And then flash, 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 how do you say that? Fast forward, there you go, to the end of the story, and here he is, and they're, they're talking about him, and they're saying, you know, Gideon, the face, the guy with a face like a king, nobody was calling him a king in scene one. And they might not be calling you a king today or a queen or a leader or a redeemer or, or whatever God has spoken over you. They may not see it because today you might be here still hiding in your wine press or maybe you're somewhere along the journey and you're just like, will I ever reach that youiest version of me? But if God can do it in Gideon's life, as he surrendered to his process, I know God is faithful and he can do it in my life and he can do it in your life and someone will look one day and they will say, look at her. She was a leader. She came from generations of pain and hurt and brokenness and abuse, but look at her, she is victorious. She's led her family. He's, whatever it is that you know God's called you to, there's hope when we surrender to God's process and when we allow him to transition sometimes the things around us and most of the time the things in us, he begins to move and he begins to build and he begins to do what he's called, he wants to do in us when we give him access. It's about giving him full access. So I believe this weekend that God is showing up in the wine presses of our lives, wherever we are. And he's inviting me and he's inviting you to get out of that wine press where maybe we've stayed for far too long hiding out and to stand up and to step into his process. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.